Welcome back to America's Talking. I'm Austin Berg. For our first episode of 2023, I'm pleased to be joined by Chris Krug. Chris is the president of the Franklin News Foundation, which operates the Center Square Newswire Service and the America's Talking Network, this very network. Chris has more than 25 years of experience in the media industry, and Press Time named him a 40 under 40 in 2008. Chris, thank you for coming on. It's great to be with you, Austin. How are you today? It's great. This might have to be an annual tradition. Our our year, our state of the state, our year in review of the media industry. But uh, I, w- I wanted to have you talk about, uh, you know, the first year of America's Talking Network, which was launched this year. Center Square is growing a lot. But before we get there, I just wanted to go through sort of, there was a great graph that showed up on Twitter over the last couple of weeks that was essentially the graph of what is, quote, the current thing. So what was the current news narrative by almost by week of the year? It was really interesting. And I wanted to sort of um, list a few of these and see which stories or narratives jump out in your mind as things that legacy media uh, covered this well, uh, did a good job, and maybe some other places where it fell short and maybe maybe some ways in which it fell short. The center square is not covering all of these things, but as a news consumer, um, I wanted to get your thoughts sure. on these. So the year started. I'll just go through a few. Uh, and then get your thoughts. Winter Olympics in Beijing, which I did not remember. If you polled Americans saying, did that happen in 2022? I don't think anyone would remember that. That was this year. Russia invades Ukraine, record inflation, uh, Supreme Court overturns Roe v. Wade, January 6th committee hearings slash Trump documents at Mar-a-Lago, the hurricane, uh, pro-democracy protests in Iran, Elon Musk buys Twitter, Sam Bankman Freed in the crypto crash. Mm-hmm. Republicans take back the house in a red trickle rather than a red wave. Yep. How does that strike you? What are some that stand out to you as being well covered and poorly covered? Well, I think what I mean that's a pretty interesting list, and we you know when you look at the list and what's on it, and I you know I mean I wasn't provided that in advance, so I mean we're just kind of <laughs> freewheeling here. It's like I, I was interested in what in what the uh, bullet points might be. I think it goes to to show that you know that the that the you know the national na- news narratives are really a lot of them are more like the you know the the United States and the world, right? I mean, there's a there's a handful of things in there that have you know very little to do with the United States, um, other than the fact that we would be you know sort of uh, brought into it or or participating in it as an as an, as an outsider or being asked to to participate in it um, financially, you know, in a in a in a in a specific way with with Russia and Ukraine, but. I totally forgot that the Olympics took place uh, this year. <laughs> I hardly watched them at all. Um, what I did watch, I really, I, I remember not enjoying very much because it, it seemed like it was uh, so much about uh, packaged television and so little about sport that I just, I just don't remember enjoying uh, very much. And of course, you know, the fact that it's taking place in the, you know, 13 hours away, I think, from a time zone standpoint from, you know, where I'm in Chicago certainly didn't help that. But, you know, among the other among the other stories that you talked about, like adequately covered well, let's talk specifically about like, I mean, if I could just stick on the Olympics for a little bit, that's entirely packaged for television. I mean, that is entirely Mm -hmm. packaged, you know, for the benefit of an audience and, and, and the vast majority of it, you know, would that of what we saw was scripted. Now, I would, I don't, you know, I'm not getting into like the the act, the the athletic competition aspect of it. I'd like to think that there are still are some things and that aren't, you know, that, um, uh, 
predetermined as, with regard to outcome. But I mean, um, among the things that you would reference, which is a wide ranging list, what did the media cover very well? I think we still struggle with covering January 6th. I think that the the hearings around January 6th were very difficult for people to watch in an even handed way. Um, and I don't know that there was a whole lot of truth brought to that. And now, you know, with what's just recently happened, talk, these are like long stories that are unpacked over a period of time. Um, but, you know, to go back to the idea of packaged, I mean, the January 6th hearings themselves, that the video backdrop that really propelled those hearings forward uh, was produced by a former uh, network news producer, right? And so it's kind of like, you know, I mean, how authentic and how genuine is everything that, that you know, that the American people got to see there and how well, how, uh, you know, well-informed were they with, with regard to what they were seeing? Um, so I would say the Olympics really couldn't get into it. January 6th coverage, hard to make sense of it. Uh, I'm still trying to figure out what's going on in, in, in Ukraine. I mean, simply as an American citizen, one thing I will tell you about watching that is it seems very, very different to me from how I watched um, the Gulf War as a younger man, which was televised um, and, you know, available to us in uh, in ways that this Ukraine war is not being made available to us. Does that have to do with the shrinkage of international and national media? Does that have to do with access? Uh, I'm not sure. I mean, you know, you know, the, the, the things that, you know, that our news operations cover are literally things that you can, you know, see, touch, taste, smell (laughs) and feel. I mean, we're that, we're that close to it. It's, it's, it's far, far more local. What else was on your list? I I touched we had Musk. Musk buying Twitter is a difficult one just because that's almost like similar to the dynamic where you have hedge funds buying newspapers yes. and then you you poke a hornet's nest of journalists who are now sort of reliant on you or have this imbalance of power. So, you know, Twitter is really still the water cooler for the media industry. So yeah. that's going to that's going to impact the coverage of what happens when when Elon Musk buys Twitter. I also think that one's interesting because of you see uh, the New York Times, for example, they have a whole tech you know vertical, and they tech is just this amazing beat, right? right. At, at any reporter, you'd want to be covering U.S. tech. It's the font of so much of what's happening in the world, and you know there's ten stories about. Elon Musk's uh, sort of office politics at Twitter, and it takes them a week to get a story out about um, AI, chat GPT, which just came out and it's like the biggest consumer revolution in AI ever. Yes. Um, so that that was one example. And then Sam Bankman Freed and crypto that, you know, there's a lot of controversy around that. New York well, Times no, asking him I, to I speak. Think very few people understand cryptocurrency as, you know, <laughs> to begin with. And then there's the idea of, of this guy you know, basically playing, uh, you know, what amounts to be, you know, per per the allegations, you know, a shell game with 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 uh, with money coming in and money being moved over to Alameda, you know, which is a sister company, but wasn't really a sister company, but actually sure starts to look like a sister company with regard to the way that it was being operated. Um, a lot of money missing, uh, and and then oddly enough, I mean, you know, in the course of of of, of the of the year, 
you know, we, we find out that that through FTX, a significant amount of money was moved to political candidates um, and the vast majority of them were Democrats, which is kind of it's kind of interesting also. And then there's the there's the FTX and, and Ukraine relationship, which is I don't think that that's been very well reported. And I and I, I say that because I'd be interested in understanding a little bit more about what the relationship is between the Ukraine and, and FTX. I'd also like to understand, you know, just as an American citizen, what's the relationship between Ukraine and the entire world over the last 10 years? Yeah. Um, there's a mm-hmm. country that's that not to say would be insignificant. Otherwise, uh, we have a we have some connections with some people who are from Ukraine they're, they're, and they're here. In, of course, they're here in America. Um, but what exactly is it that's so fascinating about Ukraine that the United States can't stay away from it? Mm-hmm. Politically, it's been the yeah, it's been the center of a lot of geopolitical, even pre-Russia <laughs> invasion. Yeah. Well, for sure, um, for yeah, sure. for a decade, and that and that context is definitely lost in most most yeah. of the so, reporting. So I mean, as the legacy, you know, as the legacy news is, you know, as as like sort of the institutional uh, news that that we would rely on for national and international coverage. Have they been there for us on that? I don't think so because I think there's way more questions than answers and. I think a lot of the reporting that could be done is not being done. I mean, you you know, you referenced the New York the New York Times before. I mean, that's a newsroom of more than a thousand people. I mean, that's um, you know, there are towns in the United States that don't have a thousand people in them, and um, and they operate, I, I guess, you know, uh, fairly well in 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 a complete orderly way. Um, not to peg all of the responsibility for covering the news on the New York Times. I'm not sure I would wish that on anybody. Uh, because I mean, I think it's a, there should be. A, I mean, because there should be balance, and no one news outlet should have total full, you know, authority. I'm putting air quotes around that around around what the news is or what's important and what's not important. And that's I mean, that's purely the way that I mean. I, no, no disrespect to any uh, any news operation. Um, you know, I think at the at, at the heart of each one of these operations, they're doing what they're doing to serve an audience that they've gone out and built. Um, and so, you know, but there's a lot of stories that, that frankly, that aren't told around each of the things that, that you and I talked about. I mean, you didn't mention the world cup, which is kind of, which just kind of came and went, I mean, try to do, try to do American journalism or try to do journalism with the boundaries and, and the, and the lack of boundary that we have that's, you know, that's given to us by the first amendment in Qatar, I mean, we saw what that looked like. I mean, it's throughout the throughout the World Cup. I mean, just doing street scene interviews, you had reporters from different nations being, you know, not to say rounded up, but, you know, shut down and chased off. And, you know, I mean, you know, somebody couldn't walk into the into the stadium in Qatar with, uh, you know, with like uh, pride gear on or, or whatever it was. And that, that person turned out to be Grant Wall, who the American soccer journalist who dies while he's in Qatar. There's a lot of bonkers. There's a lot of bonkers stories, frankly, that that would require some better some better storytelling, or maybe maybe a, a little bit more uh, depth and detail. Well, I think your point about um, I I recently heard someone talk about um, <laughs> the psychology of viewing your uh, current the government. I, I don't endorse this, but I think it's like an interesting thought exercise, and I think it applies to media. 
uh, viewing the government that you live under as if you were, you know, a visitor in Costa Rica or mm-hmm. or Nicaragua or something. Mm-hmm. Right. It's just it's separate. It does its thing. Don't get too worked up about it. Uh, you treat it as, you know, sort of something t- totally external to you in your existence. Um, and it does. And. Imp- and power, power, uh, power perpetuates itself, and you should expect that. Similar with media, I think what you said is really actually is profound. Is the New York Times tech section is not servicing Silicon Valley operators; it's servicing people who are interested in sort of the right. political disposition and political drama that the right. New York Times uh, delivers on the yep. other things that it reports about. So why wouldn't its tech coverage? Yeah, you know, I mean, it, it, I mean, that? it's like you talk about being, you know, being on brand. I mean, uh, you know, I mean, right. if the if the New York Times wrote that story in a way that wasn't on brand with the New York Times, you'd look at it and go, ah, what? Ah, you know, I mean, you'd be stammering mm-hmm. at a loss for word. Um, but you know, you talk about like you know being dropped down, you know, in, you know, out of the sky into somebody else's into somebody else's world and have to deal with you know the rules around uh, that you know that government. And I mean, I I have, I mean, I've traveled internationally uh, uh, extensively. Um, and I'll bet you Br- Brittany Griner probably pay a little bit more uh, attention to the rules of, of uh, foreign countries the next time she leaves the United States. And and for other people that have had similar things happen, not to, you know, to run Brittany Griner over the rocks. Um, but, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, we're, we should be we should be very, very thankful for the for the laws that we have and for the freedom that we have to, to practice journalism, you know, in the United States. I think it's somewhat of a not to say a crime but it's somewhat of a disappointment that we don't utilize uh the freedom and liberty that we have given to us in the first amendment to do more and better reporting uh about things that matter to people you know i mean so yeah and it's one thing to complain about you know oh man the new york times has this bias it's another thing to say oh we're going to build something that um is different it's going to serve people that want this I want something else. Sure. Um, and, and I wanted to talk to you a bit about business models for news right now. Obviously, um, I, you might know the numbers offhand better than me, but massive, massive, massive reduction in local news coverage over the last two decades. Um, I recently spoke to a local journalist in Chicago about this and said, man, you know, if I was a local news brand that had serviced this community for a hundred years, um, my brand still people know what my brand is. People know the name of their local paper paper, even if they aren't subscribing to it a lot mm-hmm. of the time. Live events are a great way to potentially leverage that. Other brands do uh, leverage their name in that way uh, and can be profitable. And she looked at me like I had 10 heads. Um, but that's not, not possible. Events are too expensive. Uh, that would that just doesn't work. The real the real future of newsrooms is nonprofit, which you at Franklin News Foundation, that is a nonprofit newsroom. That is one model that has clearly been very successful as you guys have expanded. You're covering all 50 state newsrooms and D.C. But are there models that you think work that aren't the, you know, uh, Washington Post, New York Times, that capture 95 percent of the market? Are there local news models that you think can work and be profitable yeah, I mean, I, 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 I think that we have to continue to work to to find them or to create them. Um, you know, the some of the biggest issues that face, you know, that that legacy, you know, mainstream, you know, long term ownership, you know, news outlets face is not the challenge of the day. It's the it's the it's the decisions that have been made over the last 
10, 15, 20 years. I mean, you know, you have a handful of, of news outlets uh, that are that are in print um, or, you know, that, uh, you know, that have made a, a commitment to being a newspaper as recently as, you know, 10 years ago um, and have invested substantially in presses and, and you know, buildings and, and uh, all the other infrastructure, which is now debt that has to be serviced. And, uh, you know, that doesn't that doesn't work. I mean, I, 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 I've long been an advocate for digital digital news. Um, I mean, you know, if we go way back to like when I was, you know, at the Northwest Herald in the early 2000s, I mean, we were one of the first you know, newsrooms that, you know, that was producing video content in the country. We were one of the first newsrooms that was, we were among the first uh, five daily newspapers in the country that allowed comments on stories and encouraged comments and, and interaction with, uh, with local readership around the news stories that we published. That's a piece of the industry that's largely been given away. Um, I think that uh, the the key going forward you, to get to bring it back to the financial uh, realities would be that you know you cannot overbuild um, and you have to build slowly and you have to build you know your content first and then you know try to find the audience or audiences that would appreciate the kind of work that you're doing. Yeah, as a you know if you're building a your own news entity, it, it has to be content first. And it's not to say content is king. I mean, it, it, it is. I mean, ultimately, it's, it's exceptionally important, but distribution is more important. So if you don't have the ability to put your news in front of people, you know, at scale, you're going to have a very difficult time, even if your content is fantastic. Like, I mean, if you, you know, brought on a, you know, a, a modern day, you know, William Shakespeare, uh, or, you know, our namesake, I mean, Benjamin Franklin, and, you know, they just wrote fantastic things that were never, ever seen by more than a handful of people. I mean, these are trees that fall in the woods that aren't heard, you know, it's just so it's really it's about distribution and it's about, you know, trying to build a quality news product that people have an interest in and tapping into um, spaces, frankly, that are, uh, in my opinion, that are underserved. So you, know, you had referenced, you know, your friend of the news industry, and, and, and I'm not completely clear I understand um, what their point of view was with regard to news and news consumption. I, I My sense is, and it's like, and I've read the studies, and I've, you know, Pew is very, very interested in, you know, news and news consumption, and I think they do a good job. They try to do a good job. I wouldn't, be wanting to, I wouldn't want to run them down because, I mean, they're out there trying to measure and make sense of things. I think that there's a tremendous amount of information that's consumed. Um, there's always been a lot of information consumed, but there were fewer places where you could get information. Even when I was, a, you know, a, a young pup in this industry, you know, straight news was a commodity. You know, there was a local newspaper in every single town. I mean, and, and in some cases, there were small towns that had two newspapers and, um, you know, an AM and a PM. And uh, and it, the conversation and, the, and the, what was going on in the world was adequately covered. Um, you had the Associated Press to kind of connect the dots for you. And, and they were looked at as like an un, an unflappable source, not only for state news, but, you know, for uh, national news and international news. Um, I think what's happened is, is that, you know, this, this mosaic of information sources continues to grow. People are finding outlets that they care about and latching onto them, but they're, 
the, I think the models that are, if I can bring this back to like models that work, I mean, what's different about the center square, you know, our newswire service? Well, here's what's different about it. I'm not covering sugar strikes in Brazil. I'm not asking our news team to have the um, German Bundesliga soccer stats, you know, in into the into the news flow. I'm not writing about, you know, uh, what um, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle had to say about the Kardashians. I, I mean, I so I mean, we're we're thin slicing, covering state house statewide news largely with the center square. We do dip into some local and regional uh, news opportunities when they're available to us. I mean, and it's literally from a hierarchy of priority, it's the state first. And then if we can tell some stories at, you know, at a county level or, or a, in a regional level. Of course, we have some national news coverage that's coming out of Washington, D.C. Um, then we, and we do a fine job with that. But I mean, it's it's measured. It's as much as we can do. It's about having a high level of quality in a very in a very tight space not trying to be everything to everybody, not trying to be a general generalist. And then it's that commitment to straight news. It's fact-based reporting. It's source origin journalism. And that's the model that we've taken. I think if, if more people took this approach at the local level and made the difficult decisions, I'll, I'll share a story with you in a second. I mean, but if they made the difficult decisions about what to include that was a must do rather than a nice to do, they'd be better off. When I took over, I used to run a suburban paper outside of Chicago. And when I took it over, it had a, the, 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 uh, the paper had a feature section that had a, an, an, an auto reviewer. Uh, it had a, someone who was writing about uh, homes and home building, which was largely an advertising play. Uh, the auto review thing was probably, you know, as much of a, an advertising play as anything else, but it was an editorial position. And we had a we had a film critic. We had an editorial cartoonist and uh, the film critic and the editorial cartoonist and the and the the auto writer and the, you know, and the um, the, the, the person who wrote about builders and, and whatnot. I mean, they were occupying seats in the newsroom that that frankly, that were not necessarily core. And as the business started to change, I mean, we could have stayed with that for a long time and and just sort of wrote it all the way down. I mean, I think you see it like here in the Chicago market and the metropolitan, you know, uh, papers. I mean, it was only like within the last year or so that that the that the Chicago Tribune has decided that hey, you know, we can't support having an architecture reporter anymore. And it was a brilliant. I mean, it was brilliant content. I mean, it was fantastic. But you know. You got 800 murders in your city and you write about, you know, I don't know, 35 or, or 50 of them at, a, at any detailed level. Maybe it was a good idea to let go of the architecture reporter's slot or repurpose that person to go write about things that people actually cared about. And maybe you could have held together, you know, your operation a little different. Of course, the financial pressures at the Tribune and Metropolitan newspapers are it's easy for me to say. Right. But I think it's like. If you had the ability to come in and, and from a clean sheet, build a news operation, if you went back and you modeled yourself after the models that have preceded you in the for-profit world, you would have one heck of a time unless you had a tremendous amount of funding 
from someone who was, you know, either business interested or philanthropic interested, unless you had a big bag of money to try to build a news organization that stacked up against sort of like, a you know, what the legacy structure was, it's a fool's errand. You would be you'd be completely wasting your time, effort, energy in that and, and probably uh, the, the, the funding that you'd be received or that you would have received to have been able to, to attempt to do such a thing. Uh, so over the last four years, I would say, when did, when did the center square officially launch? Is it 2019, the official launch? Center, center square was launched in, in, you know, I believe it was May 19th, 2019. Okay. So since 2019, you guys started, I think, Maybe only your first year was maybe 10 or 15 states. Is that right? We started maybe with, even fewer. And we started with 12. 12. And, and it's grown every single year to be covering all 50 state houses and D.C. This year also brought America's Talking Network, this very show and uh, a whole constellation of other shows on the network. Um, one, what's a significant lesson you learned building that over the last three years? And then two, where are you hoping to to see things go in the next year? I appreciate that question. And it's been fun to talk with you about this. I mean, you know, with, with, with the center square, I mean, that's a gap in the market that needed to be filled. I mean, that sort of that old school, straight news reporting that had like the taxpayers issues in it. I mean, you know, and, and, you know, we have great comfort leading with the taxpayers perspective in the news that we cover because we feel it, it very specifically differentiates the news and it's facts that in some cases we alone bring forward. So, I mean, it's, you know, it's been a, I mean, it's been a tremendous uh, differentiator in terms of, of uh, acceptance and, and, and pickups and whatnot. I mean, um, Center Square is doing a doing a fine job, and the the thought behind that was, like I said, I mean that the, the Associated Press needed a competitor. Uh, Reuters, frankly, doesn't get down at that level. Neither does Bloomberg, uh, and there's nobody else out there that that you know that has the ability to look at the news across all fifty states and and it makes sense of it at the state level. America's talking. Um, the idea was a little bit different. We felt that, in particular, in the podcast space that the kind of conversations that are occurring around the news or around culture or just, you know, I think just in, I would say just probably just in those two spaces, I would say around the news and in, and in culture, that there was a, a general lack of civility in the, in the, in the conversations. And it was, you know, the, the things that were winning, you know, in terms of popularity or, or of interest were in some cases either, hyperbole uh or the, the the they were just shrill and um and that you know that i mean it's like the the most successful podcasts i mean in terms of like reader reaction or listener reaction you know would be those that ended in a fight or that you know i mean like literally as 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 you know to as as much as as like I'm sure that a lot of people right now, like we're taping this on Monday, January the 2nd, right? That over the Christmas break or over the time away that people have seen this Waffle House uh, melee where the woman gets the chair thrown at her and she spins it, you know, that that I just did not want to tap into that. I wanted us to stay away 
from that because there's a lot of discussion that needs to happen about things that are just more important than people losing their minds and throwing chairs around Waffle Houses, which frankly is kind of in, in you know in my mind is sort of like inside of the what you know what has stood for podcasting over the last X number of years that it's been a metaphoric waffle house melee and and i was like you know there's more there's there's way more to it than that and 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 then of course there's things that don't get talked about so like the in focus series that we've launched with the center square that you know that's part and core of of america's talking network is a chance to talk about the reporting that was done what the story you know what's not to say like we're holding things back but to talk a little bit about the reporting and and what what you know what they might have missed and a chance to explain the process by which, you know, we were able to get the news. And we we now produce, you know, a half a dozen of those across the country. And I want to produce more. Um, I want our reporters to be able to be, you know, seen as um, not only credible, but as real people that are that are doing the, the job the right way, because they are. And um, I mean, you know, the I, I, of course, skip right over the flagship show that, you know, that that you and, and our general manager, Cole McNeely, produce, which is a little bit higher minded and um, uh, but interesting. And you take on topics and conversations with people who are doing interesting things from all over the country um, just as, for the purpose of people understanding, you know, a little bit more about who they are and what they do and why they matter Um and, uh, you know, I mean, elsewhere, you know, the, the, the partner shows that we've brought in onto the platform, they're not just there to round, you know, to round out the content. We do have a, a belief that there are other people that are out there that are trying to do things right. You know, you talked about the news business and, and these models and whatnot. Um, there are people that are out there that are doing things kind of the same way that you are, whether you're aware of it, not aware of it or not. And that is whether or not, you know, you're a you know, whether you're a sneaker collector or, you know, whether you're an amateur photographer, whether you're a barroom philosopher, you know, who, who manages to keep it under control or or if you're, you know, a, a, a news organization or a media company, that there are people that are out there that are like you. And I'm more interested in it than in anything else than trying to build a community of people who are sort of tired of looking for. Uh, news content and information in other places because it just doesn't match up to what it is that they need. So if you, I would say, uh, first of all, shout out to Chris's podcast, Everyday Economics, which is on this network with uh, Dr. Orfe Divungi. If you want any sort of practical daily economic knowledge, um, and if that's something that interests you, that's an amazing and how show. About, and so can I, just, uh, can I just offer this to you? So Orfe and I have known each other for a long time. Right. And so Orfe and I have talked over the years, like we should do a podcast. We should do a podcast. And I said, well, you know, if we ever did anything that anybody would care about, I'd be interested in doing a, a podcast. And so Orfe is the Ph.D. economist. I'm not a Ph.D. economist. I'm just kind of interested and curious. And, you know, I'd like to know why my 401k is barely a 401k anymore. And, um, you know, uh, and other things that are going on. And so he and I just started to do this thing short almost staccato, you know, uh, little, little, like mini pods, frankly, they're seven to eight minutes long. Um, I didn't know that people were going to like them so much. I, I, frankly, I had no idea, but Orphe's, you know, he's, he's something else, right? 
So I encourage everyone to check that out. If you, if you live in a state in the United States, sign up for the Center Square's emails that go out daily or at least a few times a week, depending on which state you live in. Really, really great straight news content to keep you educated about state government in your state, which affects your life in a significant way. So if you care about this kind of news coverage, I encourage you to subscribe to that. And then if you're feeling generous, donate to the Franklin News Foundation because there are not a lot of people in this space doing this work and certainly no one that's doing it as uh, consistently high volume um, and high competence and high character as, as the Franklin News Foundation. So encourage you to do that. TheCenterSquare.com. Chris Krug, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, it was great to be part of it, Austin, and Happy New Year to you. Freedom and liberty are important to all of us. If you're looking for civil, intellectual conversations with those shaping the future of freedom, try the Future of Freedom podcast with me, Scott Bertram. We speak with leaders across the country in the greater conservative and libertarian movements. In-depth conversations about where the next intellectual battles will happen across the country. It's the Future of Freedom podcast. Find it at americastalking.com or wherever you get your podcasts.